Amen. We need to uh, make sure that we, <clears throat> excuse me, make sure that we keep uh, Sister Frankie and uh, Sister Amanda in our prayers today and the rest of this week. Uh, I think Mr. Miss Frankie's in uh, South Haven, Mississippi, in the hospital, and uh, Amanda is in Vanderbilt. So before we get going today, before we go to First John chapter two, we're going to uh, pray together. Ask God to bless our time together, and we're going to pray for. Miss Frankie and Miss Amanda. Father, we love you, God. We come before you today just thanking you on this Father's Day that we could come into uh, your house, that we could come and, and worship you as uh, the, the good Father, the true Father, the one who is, uh, who, who's been more than a Father to us. Lord, we just ask that you would uh, lift up the word that we're going to, uh, to look at today, that you would use it in our hearts, that you would use it uh, for your glory. We ask that you would be with us. Uh, that you would be with Miss Frankie, Lord, as she's in the hospital, God. We pray and that you would uh, just let your spirit fall in that place with her and, and even with Amanda on the, on the other side of the state, Father, that, that you would just go and be with both of them. We know that you're able. Uh, we ask that you would be with them let your spirit fall in their, in their rooms in such a way, God, that they would feel your presence, know that uh, you were there, know that uh, you're the God of all healing, God of all comfort. And uh, we ask, in, Lord, that you would just give them that peace that passes understanding, help them to know that you're the one that's in control. It's, uh, it's your hand that's uh, going to be guiding their recovery. And we thank you and giving you glory for that already. Thanking you for the good news that we've, we've received from their, uh, from their being in the hospital, God. We, we just ask that that would continue and that you would continue to work mightily in it. And we're giving you all the glory and we're going to give you the glory when they, when they return to us. Father, we thank you for that already as if it's already done. Lord, we ask that you would be with our reading today, that you would be with our... Uh, our, our uh, our scripture today, that you would put it in our hearts in such a way, God, that we would be able to, uh, to carry it out of here, uh, that you would change us through it. And we thank you for that, and we love you in Jesus' name. Amen. So if we're in First John, we, we've been going through, and so last week we got done uh, with, in chapter 2, we, uh, we, we talked about the, just a little background. I know that uh, we've we got to keep in mind that this is one letter. I, I'm not able to deal with but just a few verses each Sunday because there's so much in here and, and there's so much going on in each of these texts. And so uh, it's hard for me to deal with more than just a few verses at a time. But you need to remember that it's all one big book. It's one big letter. And so each section flows into the next section. We're kind of having to break it up, you know, Sunday after Sunday. But the reality is when you read it, you should read it as one big book. So each thing kind of leads into the next thing. And so we've already seen that the, the, the context of 1 John is that he is, he's writing to a church who uh, people have come into the church. They have, uh, they have uh, infiltrated, so I can use that word probably. And they're, they're teaching things that are against what uh, the apostles taught. They're not coming and saying... Um, they're not coming and saying, you know what, this Jesus thing, you shouldn't be following Jesus. But they're coming and they're saying, you know what, we're the true Christians. We're the ones who have this higher spirituality, this higher level of understanding. We're the ones that are really right with God. We're the ones that have the, you know, you, you got it going on in your little, in you kind of doing the baby steps. And we understand that. But if you want to be really right with God, if you want to be truly holy, if you want to be in real fellowship and relationship with God, you need to come and follow us. Us. And John's writing to tell them, no, that's not so. He's writing to tell them that you are the believers and he gives tests 
to, uh, to uh, make sure that they know. He says in, at the end of the book, I write these things that you may know that you have eternal life. And he gives the test that we looked at over and over again. We're going to see him come back around over and over again. The test of doctrine. Do you believe rightly about what God says about himself, what Christ says about himself? The test of obedience. Are you living a life that is obeying his commandments? If you are not, you have no reason to have assurance that you are a believer. I don't care what you prayed. I don't care what you think you believe. If you are not living a life that it looks and, and acts like Christ. Is it perfect? No, we're not talking about perfection, but we're talking about a life of following after his commands. Then you have no reason. If you don't live that life, if you see no evidence of that fruit in your life, you have no evidence to have assurance that you are his child. And last week, if you were here, we looked at the third test, which is the test of love, loving the brethren. If you, uh, the man who says, you know, I love God and hates his brethren, he's a liar. That's what, that's what the book's telling us. And so remembering those tests, uh, we're going we're gonna to come, come here to this section in verse 12. I'm just going to read verses 12 through 14 in chapter 2. It's almost like John is pausing here for a moment to remind you why he's writing the letter. Because I don't know about you, but when I read these tests, you know, I can see all kind of flaws in my own life. I can see all kind of flaws in my own heart. But remember what the point of the book is. You cannot let this slip. This is so important. The book is not saying where the tests of assurance are not saying, are you doing good enough to be a Christian? Are you doing good enough to please God? I can give you the answer to that already. And I've said it over and over again. The answer is no, you're not doing good enough. We all need to do better. The test, the assurance that we have is that God is doing what he said he would do in the hearts of his children and every one of his children. And so the point of, of what he's going to say here, he's going to stop for just a minute. It's almost like a pause. It's almost like he takes a detour in his argument and he's going to make sure you know that the reason he's writing is to give you encouragement and assurance. It's not to, it's not to beat you over the head. It's not to bash you down. It's not to let you know how terrible you are and how terrible you're doing. It's to give you the assurance that if you can see God's work in you, it doesn't matter how hard the battle is. It doesn't matter how hard the fight is. If you can see God working in you and know that you have a desire for him, a desire to follow his commands, you already have the victory. You got a lot of fighting to do. You got a lot of battles to wage. You got a lot of things you're going to have to drudge through in this life. You're going to have a lot of temptation. You're going to have a lot of things that you got to fight. But really, we fight from a position of victory. We don't fight in order to gain victory. We, vi- we fight because we already have been given victory in Christ. And so he's going to, he's going to, take, just a, he's going to take just a minute and he's going, to, he's, going to, uh, he's, going to, he's going to encourage the believers, those who are part of the family of God. And you remember what we said at the very beginning. John told us at the beginning of this book that salvation is not just about believing certain truths. Not just about making sure that we, we understand the facts of history the right way, the, who Jesus was and what happened to him over there in Jerusalem and Judea. Uh, it's about a fellowship, a relationship with a person. It's about a relationship with this person, Jesus Christ, God and man. It's about having fellowship with God. That's what salvation is. And so what he's going to do is he's going to show us what that fellowship looks like. He's going to show us that... Um, that if you are in Christ, 
You're part of Christ's family. We're not just talking about a sign hanging around your neck that says, oh, he's forgiven. Let him run off and go be forgiven and go do the rest of your life. And when you die, you're going to get to go to heaven. That's not, that's not, that is salvation, but that's not just the only part of salvation. The truth of salvation is that you have a new life. You have a new heart. You are now a new creature, a new person who has a new family. You have a new father. You have uh, new relationships with this God of the universe. And so no longer are you an enemy. No longer are you uh, classified. Listen to me now. Be real careful. No longer are you classified as a sinner in the eyes of the father. You're still a sinner. Let's not, let's not go too crazy. But when the father looks at you in this new relationship, he doesn't see sinner. He sees child. He sees son, daughter. He sees perfect, uh, perfect uh, obedience to his laws because of what his son did on the cross. And so you are part of this family of Christ. And you have a part in this family of Christ. So in this text, just 12 through 14, it's just three verses, uh, he's going to address three different parts of the family of God. Children, fathers and young men. A lot of people have a lot of different opinions about who these people are and why he addresses them. You know, some people say it's just the old folks in the church or the fathers, the young folks in the church or the children. Uh, and, and you know what? Uh, the, I think the reality of what John is trying to teach us is that no matter who you are, no matter who you are, if you're if you were just saved last week, or if you've been saved 30 years, you're part of the family of God. The point that John's making here is that all of us, if we are in Christ, we have this fellowship with God. We have this salvation. Think about it this way. The, the context is if we're standing here and I'm, and I'm preaching to you and we're all part of the family of God and we're saved and we have Christ and the gospel has gone forth in our hearts. And some guy walks in the back door and he says, um, you know, y'all are doing pretty good. And don't think this hadn't happened before. Uh, somebody walks in the back door and they say, you know, y'all doing pretty good. Y'all, y'all got the basics down on this thing, but you really need to get this higher deal that I got. You know, you need to get this, this get to the higher level of of God, like I got here, you know, don't think that hadn't happened. Uh, and so if somebody were to walk in like that, they would say, you would start thinking, well, wait a minute. Uh, I've been hearing the gospel all this time. I've been hearing about Jesus and his death and his resurrection. I've been hearing that, you know, uh, I've been reading in the Bible that, that I'm right with God, not because of anything I've done and not because of anything I'm doing. You know, of course I need to grow in Christ, but, but, uh, the Bible tells me that I've got everything I need. You know, I got everything I need to stand before the father. I've got everything I need for righteousness. I've got everything I need to, to grow in holiness. And here this guy is coming in telling me I'm lacking something. John is going to stop here for these verses in verses 12 through 14. And he is going to let the whole family of God, whether you're children, little children, he calls them, whether you're fathers in the faith or whether you're young men who are strong in the faith, he's going to say, you are part of the family of God and you've got everything that you need. You've got everything that you need. Don't allow someone to come and to tell you that you are lacking. If you have the gospel of Christ, if Jesus dwells in you, then you are not lacking. Now, having said that, make sure you remember what we just talked about last week and the week before in first John, there's evidence. If you have the gospel, there's evidence in your life. You are following after Christ's commands. You are uh, loving the brethren as Christ commanded us to love. You have a new heart that loves the brethren and you are, you're trusting in the truth about what God says about himself. So if those tests uh, reveal no evidence in your life, 
then you really don't have much ground to stand on and say, well, I have the gospel and I have, you know, there's lots of people that believe right in their mind and they can answer all kind of Bible questions and they can tell you everything about scripture and every, got all the right answers, but there's absolutely no evidence in their life that they know Jesus. Absolutely no evidence in their walk. Absolutely no evidence in their fellowship with the brethren or their fellowship with God. That person wouldn't have any grounds for assurance that he has the gospel. But we who know Christ, you, even, if it's, even if it's just a little evidence, if you have the desire to love God in your heart, the desire to follow him, you know what? I'm not doing too good. I'm not keeping his commands very well. Uh, I fail every day. You know, you could say all those things about yourself, but if there's a burning desire inside of you to hate sin, to hate what God calls sin, to hate what God calls sin and to love him, to serve him. I want my life to serve him. If that desire, that heart is in you, understand that that is, that's some evidence that God is working in your heart. That's evidence that the Holy Spirit is maybe convicting you or maybe causing you to grow in your heart. And so if that's true, John wants you to know who you are in Christ. He wants you to understand who you are in this family of God. He doesn't want you to walk around discouraged all the time. He doesn't want you walking around with your head down thinking, well, I'm not doing good enough. Welcome to the human race. You're not doing good enough. He wants you to say, he wants you to understand that I'm part of the family of God, not because of what I've done, but because of what Jesus did for me. And that's the message that you hear over and over again here. And I'm thankful for that. But that's what John's going to tell us. So the point here, as he reads this, he's going to repeat himself twice. Let me just read the verses. He repeats himself. He he says, children, fathers, young men, children, fathers, young men. He says, I write unto you, little children, because your sins are forgiven you for his name's sake. I write unto you, fathers, because you have known him that is from the beginning. I write unto you, young men. Because you have overcome the wicked one. And then he starts over. I write unto you little children. Because you have known the father. I have written unto you fathers. Because you have known him that is from the beginning. I have written unto you young men. Because you're strong. And the word of God abideth in you. And you have overcome the wicked one. Now what he's saying is he's writing to all of us. Everyone who is part of the family of God in every family, you got children, you got fathers, you got young people, you got all of us are born into a family as children. None of y'all started out as adults. Uh, we all started as children. So he, he, he's pointing to the fact that we all, no matter if you're a little baby in Christ or whether you're a, a father in Christ, you know, you're discipling folks and you got this thing, you've been walking with Jesus for a long time. He says, you are part of the fellowship of God's family. And you're not lacking anything when it comes to God and, and his, his nature, his favor. When you stand before him, you're not going to be lacking anything if you're found in Christ. The point here is that, is that every, all of us who have the gospel have everything we need. Now, don't push, when we, when we start talking about these, don't push the categories too far. I mean, he's not really writing to say uh, for you to kind of figure out whether you're a child or whether you're a father. Or whether you're a young man, you know, he's not really writing so you'll figure out who you are. We're, we're, we're all one of them and, and you can't really say that, that, uh, they're, they're, um, don't push the categories too far when it comes to the things that they have. For instance, let me show you what I mean. Like it says, young men, you are strong. 
Well, that doesn't necessarily mean that the fathers aren't strong. You see what I mean? There's some overlap that goes on. The point that he's making is not really just to spur you on to grow. If you're a child in Christ, you know, he's not really saying, oh, you need to come on and pull your bootstraps up and and grow until you're a father. That is elsewhere in scripture. And it's a good thing for us to be spurred on to grow. But I don't think that's his point here. His point here is to let us all know, no matter what station you find yourself, whether you were saved, if you were saved this morning, you're, you're a baby in Christ. If you're saved 30 or 40 years ago, you're not necessarily a father, but you should be. You should be have matured and walked with him and seen him move in your life and have the sanctification of the spirit moving in your heart and have been changed over and over again as you walk with Jesus. Understand he's telling us that no matter who you are, no matter what station you find yourself in, no matter where in this family of God that you are, You have everything that you need. The man who walks in the back door and says, y'all doing pretty good, but I got the real stuff. He would probably prey on the children, the babies in Christ. Those who would, those who would, uh, you know, if you got saved this morning and and we're saying, you know, you got everything you need and the gospel's great and Jesus has saved you and and, and there's nothing else that you have to do uh, in order to please God. But now you're going to live out of this new heart that he's given you. Uh, Someone may come and they would prey on people like that. They would say, they would say, well, now. You know, now that you got this gospel thing, now that you've done the baby steps, now that you entered into the door here of salvation, now you got to do one, two and three and four. And if you don't do one, two and three and four, then you're never going to be really right before God. You're always going to be lacking something. You, You need to be like me. They would pray on people like that. John's writing to let them know, hey, you're part of the family of God. He writes to these these three, these three categories of people. And, uh, he, he's not spurring them on to grow. Uh, he does that in other places, but he's just letting them know these are facts about you. These are facts about you. So let me just take, I'm going to take all three children, fathers, young men, and I'm going to take them one at a time. He repeats himself. So I'm just going to do it all at once. Uh, he says to the children, he says, uh, I write to you little children because your sins are forgiven. And then later on in verse, uh, 13 and 13 says, I write to you little children because you have known the father. Now, the first thing he says is I write to you children because your sins are forgiven. This word forgiven, it's in the perfect tense, which means it's a completed action in the past. I say that all the time and you're thinking, well, if it's in the perfect tense, why does it look like a present tense? Why does it say are forgiven? Because in the perfect tense, I must give you just a quick little Greek lesson, little English lesson too. If you, perfect tense is when you have something that's a completed action in the past, but it has abiding results in the present. So to say I have been forgiven is also to say I am forgiven. To say I have once for all been forgiven is to say I'm standing right now in my forgiveness. So it's, it's in the past. It's a completed action. It's a done deal. When you were saved, when you came to Christ, all your sins have been forgiven. Now that's a really, that's something we hear at church all the time. And it's a true statement. But I don't think that we understand the magnitude of what that says. Do you realize your sins are forgiven? That means your sins that you've, everything you've done from the time that you were born to now, everything that you're going to do from now until the time that you pass on from this earth, all of your sins are forgiven. There's never going to be a time, little children, even babes in Christ, there's never going to be a time when you are punished for your sin. Now think about that. 
There might be times when you're disciplined. There might be times when God comes and says, no, we need to fix this right here. We need to we need to tune you up just a little bit. We need to chastise you about this or that. But there's never going to be a time where you face punishment. Why? Because all of God's punishment, all of his wrath was poured out upon his son. There's no more left. He emptied the vat of wrath and justice and punishment. He poured the whole thing out on his son on the cross, and now there's nothing left in the vat. It's empty. There's nothing left for you. There's nothing left for those who are found in the gospel, those who have trusted in Christ. And so he says, little children, I'm writing to you because your sins are forgiven. You, you don't need to fear punishment. When the guy walks in the back door, when the false teacher comes into the church, when the false Christian comes into the church and says, you need something extra. You need something more. You got the gospel. You got Jesus. You got, you know, you got the baby steps. You got the first principles. You, you've entered the door to the relationship with God. Now you need the meat. Now you need the bigger thing. Now you need to go seek after the higher spirituality. John is saying to them, that's foolish. Even if you're a child, even if you were saved 10 minutes ago, you need to understand you're going to grow in your faith. You're going to grow in the grace and knowledge of God. You're going to grow in your relationship with God. But your sins, all your sins have been forgiven once and for all. There, there's nothing else you need to be righteous. So if, if I stand before God and all my sins are forgiven, understand he's going to look at me and he's going to say, well done. I don't see anything on your account. Why? Because all your sins are forgiven. They're, they're gone. They're wiped up. They're blotted out from the book of your life and there are placed upon Christ and all that wrath was poured out upon him. Remember what John just said uh, earlier in the couple weeks ago, we looked at it, but it was still in the same chapter. He said, look, uh, you have an advocate with the father, Jesus Christ, the righteous, the one that's going to stand in for you when it comes to your time to be judged. When you come and stand before the judgment bar of God, if you are a believer in Christ, if you have evidence in your life, that you are following his commands, that you are loving the brethren, that you are believing the truth about what he says about himself. You have an advocate with the father. He's going to stand in for you. He has stood in for you and he is the propitiation for all your sin. He's appeased all that wrath. That's what it said early in chapter two that we looked at. So he says, little children, look, I'm writing to you, little children, that you will not be deceived to think that there's something else out there that's greater. Something else that you need. I'm writing to you and I'm giving you these tests of assurance not to beat you over the head with them, not to make you feel bad about how you how bad you're doing and how you need to grow. But I'm writing to you to let you know that your sins have been forgiven. I'm writing to you to let you know that you have everything that the center and the hallmark of the Christian faith is not about how good I'm doing. It's about Jesus who said it is finished. It's all done. When he was, was on the cross, bowed his head, before he gave up the ghost, he said, it's finished. The work of God is finished. The gospel is finished. When it comes to you, no matter if it was last night or even today, understand you're still a baby in Christ. You're still born into this family as a child, just as you were born into your family as a child. And you're going to grow. He says, but even if you were born into this family yesterday and you don't know anything about anything, your sins have been forgiven. There's nothing that the father holds against you because of the blood and the death of his son and the resurrection. You have everything that you need. He says, I'm writing unto you, little children, because your sins are forgiven. 
You're standing in that forgiveness. And then later he says, I'm writing to you little children because you have known the father. You know the father. He is, he, you are in relationship with the father. Even if you were born yesterday, even if you don't understand anything about anything yet, and you got lots of growing to do, but it says, I write to you little children because you have known the father. You know him. You're in relationship with him. I I know there's one thing that you all know. Even a little baby, even a little baby knows their parents. They know their parents. I was during vacation Bible school this week. uh, Little Farah, Farah Maddox was walking down the hall. You know, she's so funny. She, I was talking to her. Of course, she probably, she don't understand nothing I say. You know, she's just a little baby. And uh, so I, I, I'm just getting, there was a time when I, I, I walked up behind Meredith Whittemore and I scared her when she was a little baby. I just walked up and went, and she jumped and she hated me for like four years after that. So I don't do that no more. I try to, I try to be nice to them and talk to them and play with them and stuff. So they'll grow up liking me and everything. And, and it was all good. We were, I was talking to little Farah and I don't know how old is Farah, maybe two, one and a half, maybe something like that. But she, she don't, she can't, I don't, she, she might be able to talk, but she didn't talk to me. She was just looking at me and smiling and all that. And I was talking to her and just, you know, giving her the baby talk and all that kind of stuff. And it was all good. She was happy. She was fine. Well, her mom, Cicely, walks up behind her as I was talking to her in the hallway right here. And she just, without, without her turning around, her mom picked her up and dropped her into my arms. So now I'm holding the baby. And so all of a sudden, the baby's looking at me like, whoa, what just happened? <laughs> And so she looks at me and it's all good. And then when she turns her head, she sees her mom and immediately she starts screaming like I had butchered her cat or something. She starts screaming bloody murder and holding out her hands to her mom. She don't understand anything about anything. She don't know how to feed herself, don't know how to clothe herself, don't know how to provide for herself, don't know how to read, don't know how to talk, don't know how to hold a conversation. She don't know anything about anything. But there's one thing she knows. She knows who her parents are. She knows who her parents are. And when she knows, she knew that I, you know, it's all good when this, this, this dude is talking to me and we're having fun and all that. But when I find myself in his arms, who I don't really know that good. And my mom's standing over there. I know I want mom. And so what he's saying is, look, children, you may have a lot of growing to do. You may have a lot of things that you don't understand, but there's one thing that, you know, you have known the father. You've known your parent. You know him. You are in relationship with him. There, if you have the gospel, if you know, if you know Christ, if Christ has saved you and he is a, he's a, put that uh, spirit inside of you, you are no longer seen by God as a rebel. You're no longer seen to him as an enemy, no longer seen by him as a sinner. I mean, that's a, that's a, that's something to wrap your mind around. Now I'm a sinner and you're a sinner. We're all sinners. We're all sinners saved by grace. But can you imagine the fact, especially because I know my own heart and you know your own heart. Can you imagine the fact that God the Father would look down at you and say, I don't see no sin. Sin? No, no. There's no sin on that. There's no sin on that man. There's no sin on that woman. Not because we're so good. Not because we're doing so good. Not because we hadn't sinned. John's already told us a man said he ain't sinned. He's lying. But he looks and he sees us in Christ. He sees us in the, the, the blood of Christ, the death of Christ. We have been crucified with him. 
And now we don't even live. It's him that lives through us and him that lives in us. So he sees his own son. So even if you're a child, a person comes in to the church like they were doing here. The reason why John's writing and says, you know what? Y'all got the little baby steps going and it's good. You understand, even if you don't understand anything about theology or about Bible questions or about things that you're going to be learning as you grow, even as a little child, you got everything you need. You got relationship with the father and you got all your sins forgiven. I'm writing to you children, not so you'll hang your head about how bad you're doing. I'm writing to you little children so you'll know that you have eternal life, that you have forgiveness, that you have relationship with the father. It doesn't matter if you're a little baby like Pharaoh, you know the father. You have known the father. You are in relationship with him. Even children, even the little children have a relationship with the father. They know who their father is and they can point him out. And so he says, I'm writing to you children. The next thing he says, I'm, I'm writing to you back in 12. He says, I'm writing to you fathers. And he says the same thing. No, 13. Sorry. He says the same thing twice with fathers. I'm writing to you fathers because you've known him. That's from the beginning. I'm writing to you fathers in the next verse because you have known him who that is from the beginning. He says the same thing twice when he's talking about the fathers. Now, if you've been saved uh, for a, a good period of time, I'm talking about really saved too. I'm not talking about just the old guy who walked the aisle 30 years ago and thinks he's all good. I'm talking about actually saved, born again, new heart, following after Christ. I'm talking about that guy. If you've been saved that length of time, any length of time, uh, 20, 30 years, 15, 20, 30 years for a good long time, you know what you, you have known you have known Christ in first John, the, the one who is from the beginning is always Christ. It's always Christ in first John. And so he says, you've known Christ. Now it's the same word as used just before when it says children, you've known the father, but because, because these are the fathers, those who have walked with, with him, I take it as this is, this is knowing experiential knowledge. It's, it's not just knowing that it's true, but having walked it out that it's true. Seen, I've seen him, the one who's from the beginning, move. I've seen his faithfulness when I needed him. I've walked with him through the valley of the shadow of death when things came in my life and, and trials and tragedies and all those things. I've actually had to depend on him. I've actually had to lean on him. I've actually had to put all my faith in him and I've seen him come through. I've seen him work. I've been walking with him. He says, I, I'm writing to you fathers because you know him. I mean, you know him in a different way than little Farah knows her parents. You know him in a different way than a child knows just, I, I just know your face and I'm going to reach out to you because you're the one that's always around. You know God in a different way. You know him because you've called on him and you've walked with him and you've seen him move. You've seen him. I, I, like, to, uh, I like to illustrate it like it's the difference between having book knowledge and having experienced knowledge. You know the difference? Uh, I tell the story all the time. I, y'all probably heard it, but uh, I, I used to do body work. And I'm the kind of person, if you give me a book and then give me a test on the book, I, I'm a, I mean, I'm, I'm an expert. I can figure it out. I got it. So what they did was, they did was, they gave me a book about body work, about painting cars, pulling frames, you know, tire, suspension, casting, camber, all that kind of stuff. I learned all the facts about all those things in the book. 
I took all my ASE certification tests, passed them all in one day, in an hour and a half, passed all five tests in an hour and a half. I had all my patches on my arm. I'm good to go. But when I walked into a body shop and had to put my hands on a car, I couldn't, I don't know. I didn't know how to do none of that stuff. I, I, I knew about it. I knew what's supposed to happen. I knew what needed to go on. But I couldn't pull, I couldn't do nothing. The first, first body shop I ever worked at, they were like, how in the world did you pass them tests? Boy, you stink. You, you don't know how to do none of this stuff. I didn't have any experience with it at all. It's the difference between knowing it in your head and writing it out on a piece of paper and actually having to walk it out, actually having to do it, actually having to put your hands on it and get it done. It's like me trying to, it's like me trying to write out instructions about how to unravel an extension cord. I mean, I can write it out for you. But you really don't know how the extension cord wrapped up until you actually look at it and got your hands on it and can inspect it. There's no way I can write down exactly how to do it without looking at it, putting my hands on it and seeing where the knots are. Understand that's what he's talking about here. He's saying, look, you, you know, you know these things. You know the gospel. You've been in a relationship with a father since a little child. But you've known the one that's from the beginning. You've had to walk with him. You've seen his faithfulness. It, you know his, you know his faithfulness. His, it's the difference between knowing for a fact and believing with all your heart that God will supply my every need according to his riches and glory and actually experiencing God supplying your every need according to his riches and glory. It's a different kind, it's a different kind of, uh, assurance. It's a different kind of knowledge. It's a different kind of, uh, uh, you know, if I, if I know it's true and I believe it's true, I'm kind of waiting around for it to happen. But if I've been through it and I've seen it and I've watched him move before and I've seen him do it, I've got assurance. I'm like, I, it ain't come yet, but I know it's coming. I ain't worried about it. It's all good. You've known the one that's from the beginning. So he's saying, look, little children, your sins are forgiven. Don't let anybody take that from you. Fathers, I mean, come on, man, you've walked with him all this time. You've seen him move in your life. And then young men, he says three things about young men. He says, you're strong. He says, you have overcome the wicked one. And he said, the word of God abides in you. And those three things in those verses. And so he says, you're strong. Now understand, these are facts. These are facts he's saying. This is not him saying, come on, guys, be strong. He's saying you are strong. And, and John didn't know every person that would read his letter. When he sent this letter to the churches, he wasn't personally involved with each and every person. But he knew he could say without any stipulations that if you are a believer in Christ, if you are a young man in Christ, if you are, if you are growing in Christ is what he's trying to say here. You are strong. Now, a lot of times we don't feel strong, but it's our own fault. It's because we're, we're choosing not to depend on the power that he gives. We, we're choosing not to be strong in the Lord, in the power of his might. We're choosing to, to play with the flesh. We're choosing to do whatever it is that we do to try to do it ourselves. There are times when we don't feel strong, but John says with no ifs, ands, or buts, no stipulations whatsoever, he says, I write to you young men because you are strong. You're strong and you have overcome, not Get ready now. Come on. We really need to overcome the evil one, the wicked one. He says, you have overcome. You have overcome the wicked one. He's beaten. He's a defeated foe already. The people that were walking in the back door of the church, they were saying, look, you know, you got the baby things, but if you want to be strong in the Lord, you need to come and do these. No, I'm writing to you young men because you are strong. 
and you have overcome the wicked one. You know, the reason why uh, we hear this all the time about, you know, the devil this and the devil that. The only power he's got over you is what you let him have if you're a believer. The only power that he's got is to whisper in your ear. He's not rattling pots in your kitchen at three in the morning and he's not biting you in your sleep. I don't care what movie you've seen. He's whispering in your ear saying, look, this ain't so bad. You can do this. This is all good. You're not going to make, you know, or he's discouraging saying you're not going to make it. You can't go through this. God's not trustworthy. The only power that that he has is what you give him. So he's saying, look, I'm writing to you young men because you have overcome. You have defeated him. You have beaten him. Now, the battle's going to rage. The battle's going to go on. You're going to have to fight temptation, but he's given you a way of escape for every single one of them. You're going to have to fight throughout life, but understand you're fighting from victory. You're fighting from the fact that he has been overcome. He's, he's done. There's nothing he can do. If you, if you have the assurance of the gospel inside you, if you have the Holy Spirit living in your heart, you have the evidence of, of the faith that is uh, producing fruit in your life, you understand that the fight that you're going through, the fight against sin, the fight against the flesh, the fight against the world, those things that are going on all around you that you got to battle with, that's evidence that you have the victory. Because the ones who ain't saved, they don't have no struggle with sin. It's all good. I can do whatever I want. They don't have no struggle with being worldly. They don't have no fight with it. They enjoy being worldly. They enjoy doing the one without the gospel can just kick up their heels and have a grand old time in the midst of sin and the world and the flesh and all those things. There's no fight in them at all. But those of us who know Christ, those of us who have been changed by Christ, we have to battle these things. It's a war every day. Flesh battling against the spirit inside of us over and over again. But that that battle, although it's exhausting, it's exhausting. It is tiresome. And sometimes you think, I just want I want to be rid of it. That is the evidence that you have already overcome. Do You see? The fact that you're having to fight sin, that you desire to fight sin is the evidence that you have already overcome the wicked one. Now he's just nipping at your heels. He's just trying to derail you from the path that you're on because he knows he can't get you off that path. He's just trying to make life miserable. It's like one of them little yapping dogs. It's just all the time on you. That's what he's doing. But you've overcome him. So the point of this text is not just to spur you on and say, you know, if you're a child, you need to really work harder and become a father and all that kind of stuff. It's to let you know that no matter where you are in this life, some of you may be saved for 30 years and you're still a child in Christ because you, you just hadn't matured. You hadn't grown. You, you, I, well, I, I find that a little hard to swallow myself, but whatever. I'm just saying no matter where you are in this Christian walk, whether you're a little child in the faith, whether you're a young man, whether you're a father in the faith, understand that you have everything that you need if you are truly in the faith. If you've examined yourself by the test John has given and you found yourself, I I see the evidence, I see the fruit in my life, I see those things, you have everything that you need. That's why he's writing. And this is going to be important. If, if, if we're able to next week, I'm, I'm going to look at the, the next passage that says, Love not the world, things in the world. The reason he writes this before that is because it doesn't make much sense. I mean, if you have everything you need, why are you loving the world and things in the world? Why are you, why are you even acting that way? So it, it all kind of goes together. But what he's saying here is there's no higher level for you to get to. 
I mean, what's a higher level than perfection? You're going to grow in your knowledge. You're going to grow in the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. You're going to grow as a believer. But if you have Christ and Christ is producing fruit in your life, evidence in your life, that is so important. That's the reason John writes most of the things that he writes in this book is to let you know that there is evidence in your life. If there's no evidence that you love God, that you are seeking after God, that you're trying to serve God, that you're pushing to to follow God, to give him your life, to have a relationship with God, then you don't have no reason to take anything that I've said today as pointing to you. Don't be opening somebody else's mail. That doesn't belong to you. If there's no evidence in your life, none of that belongs to you. But if you see the fruit of God working in your life, if you see that you have a desire to serve him, even if you're even if you're messing it all up, but you you have that genuine desire for God and to live for Christ and to serve him and to love him and to hate your sin and to fight and war against your sin. You see that evidence. Understand, he's saying, little children, you've got everything. You've got everything that you could possibly have. You go on and fight that battle and you don't let those folks come in the back door saying, well, you ain't got everything you think you got. And you you need you need more of this or more of that. All you need is the gospel. All you need is to be in Christ is what the New Testament says. He says you are you're perfect. If you are part of the family of God, whether you're a little child, whether you are a young person, whether you I'm talking about spiritually or a father, you have everything you have relationship with the father you have perfection in christ you have everything that you need for life and godliness you have everything the only question now is not what do i need to do to do better what do i need to do to fix this like so many times we come and we leave thinking well i just need to do better i need to fix this i need to fix that that's not john's point it's not his question he would never ever want you to read this book And come away with that. And if you read it straight through, you wouldn't come away with that. He wants you to examine yourself whether you be of the faith or not. That's why over and over again, if we continue, if we're able to continue going through 1 John, you're going to see those same tests. Tests, do I believe what God has said about himself? Do I I have the, uh, the evidence in my life that I'm obeying his commands? And do I love the things that God loves over and over again the tests of assurance if you can look at those tests and say you know what i can see god working in my heart in those things he's saying right here i'm writing to you little children i'm writing to you fathers i'm writing to you young men you're strong you've overcome the wicked one you've known the father your sins have been forgiven you have everything that you need you have everything that god has to give he he emptied out The storehouse of blessing, if you could say it that way. Ephesians chapter 1 says, you are now seated in heavenly places in Christ. You have every spiritual blessing. That's what it says, Ephesians 1, 3. Every spiritual blessing in Christ. You have perfect fellowship with the Father. You need to grow in it, but there's nothing more than you can add to perfection. So the question you got to ask is, Am I one? Am I in the faith? If I examine myself, do I see the evidence? And if there's no evidence, then there's no truth. Because God said, for, he said that uh, 
God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believed in him not perish, have everlasting life. But he also said that the one that he saves, he said, I'll give them a new heart and I'll cause them to keep my commandments and I'll cause them to walk after my statutes. You can't have one without the other. They're either both true or neither one is true. So today we examine ourselves to see whether we're in the faith. Let's pray. Father, we love you and we come before you today thanking you for your word. Thank you for the assurance that you give us.